Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Wow. Good morning, friends. It's uh, good to be here this morning. Faithful uh, attenders of midway through the school holidays. Well done. My name's Eleanor, I'm one of uh, the pastors at Gateway, I work with our missions department and it's a privilege to be here. I I notice, you know, Dave got me here when he's not here, so prepare yourselves for a wild ride this morning because, you know, the boss isn't in the house. No, no, I'm just joking. Who could have imagined that 2020 would end up with this thing called covid I mean, it's just, it's been something that I could never have imagined between, you know, mask wearing, do we wear masks, don't we wear masks, is it when we stand up we wear masks, but when we sit down we don't have to wear masks, you know, between masks and lockdowns and and panic shopping uh, prior to a lockdown, I just can't keep up with things and... uh, It's interesting, I've often felt like I'm in an episode of The Hunger Games. Have you seen that movie? Just before a seven-day lockdown, I lived near a Woolworths supermarket, and you go in there, and it's like every man for himself, especially if you want to buy toilet paper, yeah? You know, I, I, uh, I, I don't get it. The toilet paper thing is just quite a mystery to me. I've lived in India. I've lived in India for 11 years, have worked in India for a lot longer than that. I know what it is to have an upset stomach. You know, deli belly is a real thing. It really does happen. But for the life of me, I cannot understand the correlation between the need for toilet paper and COVID-19, a respiratory disease. And, you know, for those of you in this room, and I know there's going to be some of you in this room, no condemnation, but for those of you in this room who feel the need to buy 144 rolls of toilet paper prior to a lockdown, all I want to say is you should have seen a doctor much sooner. (laughs) This is a serious thing, you know. And so I have found that uh, living through uh, COVID-19 has really taken a toll on me. And uh, it continues to, you know, continue on in 2021 between border closures and uh, all the unchanging, all the things that are changing that I thought weren't unchanging. Things like moment to moment, Do you wear a mask? Don't you wear a mask? Do I have to be 1.5 metres away from you? Or is it now just two metres? Or is it four square metres? Do I have to uh, register to come to church? Or I don't have to register to come to church? Uh, Do I I shake hands with you or or fist pump or, you know, uh, do this sort of thing? I, I don't, I can't keep up with the changing things. And... You know, who would have thought, you know that saying, I wouldn't touch you with a six-foot pole? That's become a national policy now, I've found with the Australian government. People often ask me, do you you miss travelling now that our borders are closed all the time? I, I lived and worked overseas for the last 29 years and had lots of opportunities to travel. And so they say, you must really miss it now that our borders are closed. And... 
I was thinking about it and I thought, well, I, I guess I do because I, I have a world map on my wall and I was sitting there the other morning looking at the world map and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I have a, a dart board. I picked up a dart and I thought, I'm going to throw this dart and wherever it lands, that's the first place I'm going for my holidays once the board is open. Well, it now seems I'll be spending two weeks behind the fridge when, you know, our borders open. That's how bad a shot I was. But uh, seriously, uh, we've all been facing uh, challenges and unexpected challenges that perhaps we never could have uh, believed would happen. And one of the biggest challenges that I've found myself facing, it's tapped into feelings of loneliness that I perhaps haven't felt for many, many years. And I don't know if I've ever experienced the depth of loneliness that I have during this pandemic. Uh, as I said, I've been on the mission field for the past 29 years. And so stepping off the mission field, literally into this job at Gateway, uh, for those of you uh, that follow our Gateway Beyond Workers, I was one of our workers. And I stepped into the role at Gateway after 29 years. I was in the role for two weeks in uh, February last year. I just started and then everything fell apart. We were all sent home, so all the Gateway staff, we then ended up working at home uh, for the next few months. I'd only been working for two weeks in the church at that point. I remember Emma walked past one day when Emma was walk, working at Gateway and I said to the person beside me, who's she? And uh, I'd already been working there at that point for about five months, but because we'd had a lockdown, I didn't even know who Emma was. And uh, I've just found, you know, since I've stepped into this role right when the pandemic started last year, I had a housemate, actually I had two housemates that I lived with. Well, one of the girls got married last year in March and then my other housemate ended up leaving to go back. She was from Switzerland, uh, ended up going back to Switzerland. And so I found also in the midst of this pandemic that for the first time in my life, so I'm 57 years old, for the first time I was living by myself. Not only that, we had a dog that we shared in the house. I had to give the dog up. It sounds like a country and western song, yeah? I had to give the dog up because of my work. When our offices opened and I went back into Gateway, I just didn't feel it was good to, to have the dog just sitting at home by itself. So I gave the dog up. I should write a country and western hit. And I've just found, you know, between the lockdowns and being isolated at home during those times, it's really, it really has taken a toll. And it's, as Dave said to me, Eleanor, what would you like to preach on in this series as we look at Jesus in the picture? One of the, one of the uh, themes was loneliness. And that straight away I said, oh my gosh, let me preach on that because it's something that I've really been walking through. Now, loneliness isn't something unique uh, just to me. Uh, prior to even COVID erupting, uh, research tells us that one in four, approximately one in four Aussies struggle with loneliness. And so since COVID-19 has erupted and all the self-isolating and, and uh, social distancing, 
the, the numbers of people struggling, struggling with loneliness and anxiety surrounding loneliness has just exploded. And is it any wonder, given all that we're walking through? And we know that, you know, today so many people are lonely. It's not just... Um, I'm single, so I've, I've found that being single... Uh, there's often a stigma of shame attached to it as well, that somehow with loneliness, uh, being single, like there's something the matter with me, that I never got married or, you know, and I mean, a lot of people think, well, you must have a story if you're not married and what is it you want to tell us? But there's a real stigma attached because being single and feeling lonely is so countercultural to the to the world we live in the facebook culture where we post ourselves at the beach with all our friends and going out for dinner and parties and you know it, it's so countercultural when you're feeling alienated or alone or, or or just sitting at home with your netflix yeah and so i know that it's not just single people that struggle though as i've talked to different people during this pandemic I've had married friends that, um, just as recent as last week, a friend of mine married with adult children. We were chatting, having a cup of coffee, and she was just saying how much she was struggling with loneliness. And I've heard that so many times from married people who have spouses or even children with them or grown-up children just struggling with this sense of feeling alienated and alone in the midst of it. And I know since I've stepped into this role at Gateway, I've had many opportunities to speak to the elderly in our midst. And just even about a month ago, I was talking to, to one of our elders at Gateway, not meaning the board of elders, but an elderly man. He was uh, in his 90s. And he lives in one of the retirement villages. And he was just sharing how lonely he feels. His wife passed away uh, several years ago. And he just said, you know, I'm so lonely. He said, sometimes I catch a taxi to Garden City and I walk around in Garden City just trying to interact with people, finding someone to talk to. Now, he's from Gateway. And it, it broke my heart that he feels he has to go to Garden City to try and interact. Another elderly person who I also know from Gateway, back when I had my dog one day, I was at the dog park, and they were there. And I was a bit worried for them because they were so frail, you know, a little, little frail person. I said, oh, be careful, maybe you should sit down because a lot of dogs are running around. They said, which one's your dog? And they said, no, no, I don't have a dog. I said, oh. You just like dogs. And they said, no, we come, I, I come here to try and talk to people because I feel so alone. And again, you know, I realize so many people are struggling. And this pandemic has simply made it worse and worse for people in regards to feeling that they can't perhaps even share the shame that they're feeling in being single or being lonely or just feeling anxiety. And so, in the midst of all of this, you know, as we look at this series, uh, Jesus in the Picture, we have to ask ourselves, gosh, Dave did well getting this frame. I feel like I'm doing weights at the gym. But where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? I think he'd 
probably, probably a landscape for me would look better, no, but a portrait. Where is Jesus when I'm having those feelings? Where I feel isolated, where I feel alone. For that elderly gentleman that has to go to Garden City because he feels isolated. And even at Garden City, everybody's, you know, busy shopping. And how many of us walk by and, and don't even see people? Where is Jesus? And I think, again, attached to the stigma and the shame, it, we layer over that guilt as Christians, this guilt that somehow, okay, Jesus, I know that the joy of the Lord should be my strength. I know that you're the God who says to me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I know that you're the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Well, well Jesus, why do I feel so alone? Where are you? Are you even there in the picture with me? And how many of us, really, if we really tapped into it, feel that we're alone in this picture, whether we're married or we're not, whether we've been walking with Jesus for 10 years or 20 years, we feel alone in the picture. And so we want to unpack that a little bit this morning. Where is Jesus in those times of loneliness? And I want us to look at a passage uh, this morning from Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter It'll come up on the screen, chapter 5, verses 24 to 35. There's many stories in the scripture of people that have struggled with loneliness. In the midst of the storms, where is Jesus? So let's put it in the context. Jesus has just arrived by boat on the side of a lake. And a religious leader named Jairus has approached him, a synagogue leader. And has, he's a very important man, Jairus. And he says, please come and pray for my daughter. She's not well. And so Jesus is on the way with this important synagogue leader, this leader of the people, to pray for the sick daughter. And he's got crowds, throngs of people pressing all around him. And so let's pick the story up. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she now grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And Father, this morning, we come before you, each one of us. You know our struggles 
You know our stories. You know our histories. And we thank you that, Father, you are the God who says, I see you're rising up and you're laying down. I know your every thought, your every word before you speak it. We pray this morning, Father, through your Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and ears? Would you attune our hearts to the things that you're wanting to say to us, to encourage us in, to remind us this morning? And we pray this in your most precious name. Amen. This poor woman, ladies, you can relate to this, 12 years of bleeding. Picture it, 12 years. Not like today where we can go to the shop and buy the necessary. 12 years of bleeding. Your heart has to go out to her. But what's so sad in this story is this woman faced absolute isolation and rejection because of her condition. Not only was she suffering the uncomfort, discomfort of that condition, but she was essentially in Leviticus, the Levitical law, the Levites had a law that any person who had bodily discharge was considered unclean. So this woman faced absolute isolation and rejection and even called unclean by the chief priests. And, you know, when we think of someone who's unclean, we go, well, get in the shower, go and have a bath. You're, you're looking a bit dirty. Or if a dish is unclean, we'll put it in the dishwasher. Or, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll throw it in the rubbish if it's really unclean, Yeah. Well, that's a different perspective to Old Testament Levitical law. And you can read, if you're interested, you can look it up. Uh, you know, what made people unclean was mold. They had a real thing against mold. So those of you who like blue cheese, I don't know. It's supposed to be, you know, a little bit unclean back in the Levites days, yeah? This woman was considered unclean that it affected her whole being. So for a person that was considered unclean, they were essentially an outcast or a, a term that I've come across many, many times, particularly from my work in India, they were considered untouchables. I used to walk through the street, unclean, unclean, and, you know, the crowds would part. It's kind of like walking in Woolies today and sneezing and coughing. The crowds just part, yeah? There's a bit of fear attached if, if somebody's coming along that's unclean. And in India, untouchables, they're literally called that because they're unclean. They're untouchable. If you touch them, if you relate to them, they're the lowest of the caste in Hinduism, they are considered unclean. They do the menial tasks. They clean the public toilets. They pick up the trash. That's what untouchables, unclean people do. They were relegated to the lowest realm. And people avoided them, avoided them at all costs. They were often forced to live outside of the city. And people were just scared of them if they came near them. And so this woman was an outcast. She was forced to live in isolation on the outskirts of the city, forced to live alone, total rejection, 
total isolation, totally alienated, no human touch, no human contact. I mean, probably a dog would have got more pats on its head than this woman got recognition for. She was forced to be abandoned. She was forced to live alone. No family and no friends. And we know in verse 26 of that passage we just read, she had spent all she had on doctors trying to get better. She had spent all she had. So not only was she outcast and ostracized and abandoned and rejected and people would say, you know, stay away. Anything that she touched, anything that she sat on would automatically be called unclean. In Levitical law, if, if a woman at that time of the month sat on a chair, the furniture was unclean. That's how abandoned and alone she would have felt. And here she'd spent all the money she had trying to get better. Not only was she facing all those things, but she was poor. When you spend all the money you have, it means you don't have any more money. So no doubt this poor woman, besides the physical ailment and discomfort she would have felt, despite the, the ostracism, not I said ostrich or something, uh, despite the abandonment, the rejection, feeling alone, she no doubt had to beg. Because if you've got no money, where are you getting food from? She didn't have a family structure around her. So no doubt she used to beg for food. No doubt she didn't have access to, you know, showers and baths. She, she, this woman was in a dismal situation. She had no dignity. You know, and I have worked with people that feel like there's just no dignity in them. That they, they feel like they're no better than the dogs on the street. I wonder if this is how that woman felt. No one cared about her. No one even noticed her. No one touched her. Anything she touched, as a matter of fact, became unclean. So if anyone would have known what it was to feel lonely, what it was to feel disconnected from the people around them, it was this woman. And imagine 12 years of not being touched. Imagine that, 12 years of no human contact, of touching anyone else. She knew what loneliness was to a degree that, I'm sorry, 20 months of COVID-19, I've got nothing to compare it to. She knew the stigma and the shame, the absolute shame of her condition. And no doubt, this woman had heard about Jesus. You know, the rumor mill, she would have overheard conversations about this, this person who was going around healing people. And so I can just picture it. She sees the crowds of people gathered and she, she comes close to, to, to see what is the commotion? Why, are, why is this crowd of people all gathered together? And she hears it. Jesus is here, and, and no doubt she'd heard that via people talking that he had healed people, and so literally in her desperation, 
she literally crawls through the crowd on her hands and her knees. Crawling through the crowd and she's trying to say, if I can just, in verse 28, if I can simply touch the hem of his garment, she thought to herself, then I will be clear. Can you imagine the courage it would have taken first to enter into the crowd and to crawl through them to say, if only I touch his garment. And that word touch, if I touch the hem of his garment, the translation means to take a determined hold, to, to take a determined, if I simply with determination touch the hem of his garment, I will be cleaned. And think about it. Jesus had crowds of people all around him, pressing on him. You can just picture the scene. But only one woman had a determined faith to take a determined hold. No one else in the crowd took a determined hold of Jesus to touch him in that way. That woman was so different. She knew that with just a thread of faith, she could be healed. And an artist by the name of Howard Loin, he produced this painting called A Thread of Faith. And I've been meditating on this painting. And while it doesn't have the crowds of people in the painting, you can see the woman is determined to take hold of Jesus with just that thread of faith if I simply take hold of his garment. And we know in verse 30, as the story continues, at once, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? You see, when the woman touched Jesus' garment, Jesus touched the woman. His power touched her. In that moment, she was healed. In that moment, the shame and the stigma, stigma were gone. In that moment, the alienation and the loneliness was vanished in that moment of faith, that thread of faith to take a determined hold of Jesus despite what she was facing, despite what was happening to her. At that moment, the power of God himself touched her and Jesus recognized that someone had touched him in faith. You know, Jesus could have dismissed it. He could have just kept on walking with Jairus to go and heal his daughter. He could have, you know, not brought attention to the fact that power, because he knew at once power had gone out from him. But instead, he stops and he says, who touched me? And his disciples are going, what are you talking about? Look at the crowds. But Jesus wanted to publicly draw attention to this woman. Now you'd think, Jesus, why, why would you be doing that? Just let her be healed and go on your way. But you see, back in those times, the only person who could declare someone who was unclean 
clean was a priest. To be deemed clean, it had to publicly be said by a priest, you are clean, you are healed. And so Jesus wanted to publicly bless her, not humiliate her, to publicly declare to this woman when she owned up and said it was me, to say, woman, your faith has healed you. You are now clean. He is the great high priest declaring that she has been made clean. And in doing so, not only does he publicly draw attention that this thread of faith, this determined hold has healed her, he makes a point, and this is amazing. He says, daughter, in verse 34, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Do you know nowhere else, nowhere else in the New Testament does Jesus call anyone daughter? That's the only passage where Jesus says daughter. Now imagine this woman, I'm sure her earthly father didn't call her daughter. Can you imagine the shame for the family? If anything, they probably pretended they didn't know her, don't know her. She wouldn't have been called daughter, a term of endearment for 12 years. So again, Jesus is making a point. And just like the woman in the story, you and I, the application to us is we need that thread of faith. This isn't just for the women in the room. Son, he says, you need that thread of faith, that determined hold. Don't just be part of the crowd pressing around Jesus, trying to look at what's happening to reach out in faith, no matter what I'm walking through, no matter what we're walking through, to say, okay, Jesus, with this thread of faith, I believe that you see me. I believe that you can heal me. I believe that you can set me free from whatever it is that I'm walking through. You know, I told you I've lived in India for many years, and... Uh, Someone who's always fascinated me in India was Mother Teresa. I had the privilege of working in her uh, home for the destitute and the dying. Uh, she's quite an amazing woman, if ever you get a chance to, to read an autobiography on her. Uh, an Albanian who ended up in India at the age of 18 and uh, began a, a missionaries of charity that they're called, these homes for the dying and the destitute. Mother Teresa's ethos was everyone, every untouchable that's left on the streets to die has a right to, to die in dignity and with love. And so she started Missionaries of Charity and today it's over in over 600 locations around the world in over 133 nations. And the amazing thing about Mother Teresa in 1979, she won the Nobel Peace Prize for her work with the untouchables in India, with the outcasts. And when she passed away in 1999, quite amazing, the same week that Princess Diana passed away, and I thought that's just so like God because it was the same week and all the focus was on Princess Diana's funeral. 
And Mother Teresa was just an insignificant other person uh, that died that week. But after she died, they started going through her private journals. And this is just one of the books, The Private Writings of the Saint of Calcutta. And as they started to go through their, her journals, they realized that Mother Teresa, in this book, it's got all journal articles that she wrote. They realized that she actually, all those years, over 50 years of ministering God's love to the, the broken and the outcasts of India, all those years, Mother Teresa struggled with a terrible secret. And that secret was absolute darkness and loneliness that she felt from God and from those around her. And I'm just going to read you just one snippet from this book, uh, Come Be My Light. Again, if you're interested, you can come up and have a look at the book later, The Private Writings of the Saint of Calcutta. And this is what Mother Teresa says, Lord, my God, who am I that you should forsake me? The child of your love. I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer. No one to whom I can cling. No one. Alone. The darkness is so dark, I am alone. Unwanted. The loneliness of my heart that wants love is unbearable. Where is my faith? My God, how painful is this unknown pain. It pains without ceasing. Yet, in spite of all this, the darkness and the emptiness is not as painful as the longing for God. You know, Mother Teresa, while she struggled so desperately with darkness... And loneliness. And again, remember, loneliness is not being alone. Being alone is a circumstance. I'm living alone at the moment. It's a circumstance I'm living in. Loneliness has emotion attached to it. Loneliness is even if I'm in the midst of a crowd, I feel disconnected. I feel like people don't see me. I feel alienated. Mother Teresa, in the midst of her work, of, of reaching out to those around her in love, people that nobody else saw or cared about, that would literally die on the street as dogs, Mother Teresa felt loneliness and darkness. Yet, she knew that in the midst of the darkness... God's presence was always with her. In the midst of what she was walking through for that 50 or so years in India, in the midst of feeling that maybe her prayers are just bouncing off the roof, in the midst of feeling, God, do you see me? Am I loved? Do you even know what I'm walking through, the conditions I'm walking through? God, yet I know you're with me even if I don't feel it. How many of us, we need the prayer of that man in the scripture that says, God, I do believe you can heal me. Help me in 
my unbelief because He is a faithful God. He is a God, the truth, the reality. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. I see you. I see what you're walking through. I see what you're facing, the challenges. I see what's going on in your body, the health challenges, or in your family, or in your relationships. Just like Mother Teresa, my challenge is, is God in your picture? And it's more than a feeling. It's more than a circumstance. Even in the midst of the darkness and the silence, like a deep pool of water that's so deep, it's deep and it's dark. Even though I'm floating in the midst of this deepness and darkness, and this is what I'm going through. Even God, when I'm walking through what feels like a deep, dark, silent pond, you are with me. You are with me and you carry me and you sustain me. And I want to tell you, just as Mother Teresa reached out and loved the people around her, that is what God calls you and I to do because He is with me and He is with you. He is the God who sees you. He is the God who knows you. He is the God that's in the picture, whatever that picture looks like for you. And so this morning, we're going to, to respond with a song that says, God, draw me close to you. Never let me go. And it, in, the, in, the ver, in the chorus, it says, God, help me know you are near, that you are here with me. This morning, I believe for some of us, for some of you in this room, God wants to remind you He is here with you. He is in the picture even if He's silent because He is a faithful, loving God that sees, that heals. And He just wants a determined hold, just a thread of faith to say, God, meet me in what I'm walking through. And I believe this morning for some of you, he wants to remind you that He is standing beside you. He's standing beside you right now, even if you can't see it, even if you can't feel it. He is right beside you. And so this morning, for some of you, if God is speaking to you, or you just simply want to say, God, in my unbelief, help me believe. This morning, I'd like to encourage you if that's you, to stand this morning. So you can stay seated unless you want to stand, to stand in faith. And then what I'd like is for those around you, if someone stands, I'd like you to stand alongside of them as a symbolic act of God with them. And we hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you, but you would like to take a third step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.